Today we continue our series from the Old Testament and the setting for our message today is Jericho. Now, I have been to Jericho numerous times and have seen the ancient ruins of the city of Jericho. Jericho was referred to in the Old Testament as being the city of palm trees. Now, if you were to travel there, you would understand why, because in the midst of the Judean desert, there is an oasis of palm trees, and there is Jericho. You also probably will recall that it was in Jericho that Bartimaeus, the blind beggar, was healed of his blindness when he came to Jesus. It was also in Jericho that Zacchaeus climbed up into the sycamore tree to see Jesus. Now, Jericho was the first city across Jordan. Now, you might recall that the Lord took Moses up on Mount Nebo on the other side of Jordan, and he showed him all of the promised land, including Jericho. And he said to him, I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So the Lord took Moses then up on Mount Nebo and said, Now, Moses, you are aware that you're not going to be the one who goes into the promised land. So the setting for the message today is Jericho, and the main character we're going to look at is Rahab. In the Davis Dictionary of the Bible, it is recorded that Rahab means broad, slang for loose woman. So that is the woman we are going to be looking at today. And as we look at her, you will see that she had three strikes against her. First of all, she was a Canaanite, not a Jew. And the Canaanites were considered to be wicked people, and yet the Lord at one time allowed them to be a part of his judgment against Israel. So she was a Canaanite woman, not a Jew. Secondly, she was a woman, not a man. Now, at that time, a woman was considered to be a second-class citizen. She had no rights of her own. She was considered to be property, so she was a woman, not a man. Thirdly, she was a prostitute. Now, Josephus says that the word for innkeeper and prostitute is the same word. Therefore, Josephus, the Jewish historian, concluded that Rahab was an innkeeper. However, in the New Testament, using the Greek language, when she is referred to as being a harlot, there is a different word that is used that cannot be translated innkeeper. So she was a prostitute. All right, let's look at the story. I hope you're interested now. Joshua chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1. Then Joshua the son of Nun sent two men as spies secretly from Shittim, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came into the house of a harlot whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men from the sons of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. 
And it came about when it was time to shut the gate at dark that the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them in the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued them on the road to the Jordan, to the forge, and as soon as those who were pursuing them had gone out, they shut the gate. Now, before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed." When we heard it, our hearts melted, and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now therefore, please swear to me by the Lord, since I have dealt kindly with you, that you also will deal kindly with my father's household, and give me a pledge of truth. And spare my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters with all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. So the men said to her, Our life for yours. If you do not tell this business of ours, and it shall come about when the Lord gives us the land, that we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Now you'll notice there in verse number 1, it says that Joshua sent in the spies secretly. Forty years earlier, when they came to the edge of the promised land, Moses sent in twelve spies. Ten of those spies came back and gave a bad report. The people became despondent as a result of that and did not enter into the promised land. Probably Joshua wanted to avoid that happening again, so he didn't tell anyone. The Bible says that he sent them in secretly. Now, understand at this time, when he sent in the spies, that the Hebrews are about 14 miles from Jericho. The people in Jericho knew that they were there because of the number of the Hebrews at that time. But Jericho was an important city. It was the first city in Canaan. It was the gateway to the Promised Land. And the Hebrews had to conquer this city. Now, you'll notice there in verse number 1b, it says, So they went and came into the house of a harlot, whose name was Rahab, and lodged there. Now, here are these spies who go into Jericho to spy it out. They went to the house of a harlot. Why? Well, there are probably some obvious reasons. One is that young men going into the home of a harlot probably would not attract unnecessary attention. Second, they probably would get good information there. In verse number 9, the Bible says, And she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. It could be assumed that some of the soldiers there would uh, frequent the house of Rahab, they would talk, and so there would be good information. Thirdly, I believe they went there because God had a plan for her of which they knew nothing. And then fourthly, it was an easy escape if they were caught. In verse number 15, it says, Then she let them down by a rope through the window, 
for her house was on the city wall so that she was living on the wall. So her house then was located on the wall. And if they were found out, then they could easily escape over the wall. So when we look at this, Joshua sent in the spies to spy out the land, and they came to the house of the harlot Rahab. But why was she so receptive to them? Why did she respond to the spies as she did? Well, my guess is, is that the Holy Spirit was at work in her life. I think that she was being convicted by the Spirit. She was being moved by the Spirit because that's what the Spirit does. The Spirit works in people's lives to bring them to a response that God intends. Now, you'll notice there in verse number 11b, The Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. And so there was something going on in her life. How did she know that? I think that it was the Spirit working in her heart. Now, it could be that the Spirit used fear because He can use different mechanisms to speak to our heart. could be that He used fear because the Hebrew army was powerful. She was aware of that and maybe she was fearful for her own life. And perhaps the Spirit was using that. Maybe it was dissatisfaction. She had gotten into sin, and sin had not pleased her, had not satisfied her life, and maybe as a result of that, she was responsive to the spies, and the Spirit was using that. Perhaps she grew up in a religious home and had gotten away from her religion. We don't know. We can only speculate. But I believe that the Spirit of God was at work in her life, making her responsive at this time. And we see that throughout the Bible, do we not? That the Spirit of God works in people's lives to make them responsive. For instance, why did Philip go down to Gaza to speak to the Ethiopian eunuch? Because Philip was right in the midst of a revival at that time. There was a great revival going on, and in the midst of it, Philip left. Why? Because the Spirit had prompted him. The Bible says in Acts 8, But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. You see, ladies and gentlemen, the Spirit of God works in our lives to make us responsive to Him. And that's what I believe every Sunday when I come to preach, that the Spirit of God, if I'm faithful to the Word of God, that the Spirit of God will speak to your heart about what God is interested in concerning you. So the Bible says then that she responded in faith to him. Faith oftentimes begins in fear, and then it grows to faith. Now, you'll notice in verse number 9, she said, The terror of you has fallen on us. The terror of you has fallen on us. So her fear then made her responsive to the spies, made her responsive to God. Fear makes us responsive, doesn't it? I was very responsive to my father because of uh, a great respect for him. And now then I am responsive uh, to my wife because I'm scared of her too. (laughs) You know, the truth is there are a lot of people who come to Christ out of fear. The psalmist said in Psalm 85, 9, Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. I know today that that people say, well, you know, you ought not use fear tactics.
My doctor does all the time. If you don't lose some weight, you're going to die. If you don't exercise, it's going to shorten your life. Do they, does your doctor do that? Yeah, he does too. You just don't listen to it. Let me tell you something, folks. Hell is a motivation for trusting Christ. I mean, if hell is real, if hell is real as the Bible says, and I believe that it is, then that is a, a, an obvious motivation for us to come. I don't want to go to hell. I don't know about you. And if somebody can scare me out of hell, I want them to. I also notice something else here in verse number 10. For we have heard, we have heard, listen, we have heard, but only Rahab responded. You see, I believe today that to some degree, all of you here, to some degree, all of you listen, but you may be the only one who is responsive. We talk a lot about mass evangelism. There's no such thing as mass evangelism. It is individual salvation. As individuals, we trust Christ. Masses don't trust Christ. Individuals trust Christ. So she said, we have heard, but she was the only one who responded. Maybe she was responsive because of her concern for her family. If you look in verse number 13, And spare my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters with all those who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. Oftentimes it is a concern about our families that speaks to our hearts spiritually. The Philippian jailer was concerned about his family. And the Bible says in Acts 16, And he brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. Now I have said to you before that the reason I got in church, the reason that I became responsive to God was because of my daughter. Linda and I weren't in church. And uh, my daughter was just a little girl at that time, and, and uh, I became concerned that she needed to be in church. And it was out of concern for her that I went to. I found that I was the one who needed uh, a touch of the Lord, uh, but the Lord used, it was concern for my daughter that prompted me. And today I'm very concerned not only about my children, I'm also concerned about my grandchildren. I want them to know the Lord. I want them to live righteous lives. I want them to be godly people. And sometimes it is our concern for our families that prompts us to be responsive to God. So she responded in faith. And she persevered in that faith. Uh, that's one of the things I like about the story is her perseverance. Look over at chapter 6, verse number 25. Let me show you something. However, Rahab the harlot and her father's household and all she had, Joshua spared, and she has lived in the midst of Israel to this day, for she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Now that says to me that her faith was real. I mean, she stayed by the stuff. She persevered. That's one of the things that I like about Noah. When the Lord told Noah to, to build the ark and to warn the people about judgment that was to come, and he began to do that, Noah faithfully preached the message of judgment that was to come for 120 years, and only eight people were spared. But boy, he persevered. He stayed in there. He was faithful to God. There was perseverance. 
when the demoniac came to Christ, he just wanted to be with Jesus. But Jesus said, no, you, you have to persevere. You have to continue in telling the good news. And the Bible says in Mark 5, 18 and 19, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring Jesus that he might accompany him. Jesus, I just want to go with you and stay with you and be with you and bask in the presence of God that he might accompany him, and he did not let him. But he said to him, Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. Folks, if you say that Jesus is your Savior, if you've committed your life to Jesus Christ, you are to persevere. You might say, well, you don't know the difficulties that I'm facing right now, the struggles that I'm having. If you're a Christian, if Jesus is your Savior, you are to be faithful, you are to persevere. And when I look at Rahab, I see a woman who was receptive to the message of God. She was convicted, I believe, by the Holy Spirit. She responded in faith and she persevered in faith. Even to this day, she's still with the people of Israel. Then as I look at the story, I also see the power of God. God has the power to crush the faithless. We'll see this here. And let me tell you, God has the power to deal with those who position themselves as enemies of God. Matthew Henry wrote, Let not the stout man glory in his courage any more than the strong man in his strength. For God can weaken both mind and body. God has the power to deal with those who position themselves as his enemies. And there in verse number 10, we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan of Zion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. God has the power. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. It's a story about Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was surrounded by these enemy armies. And so he went to the Lord in prayer in 2 Chronicles 20:12. He prayed, Oh, our God, would you not judge them? For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us, nor do we know what to do but... Our eyes are on you. You see, Jehoshaphat understood the power of God. Lord, we are surrounded by the enemy here. We don't know what to do, but we are looking to you, God, because you are the one with the power. God made a promise to them because God sees such faith and hears such prayers. Now listen to God in verse number 15. Listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. And God gave the victory. In fact, it took the army three days to pick up the spoils after the battle had been won by God. I don't know if that means anything to you, but boy, it's a blessing to me, and I'll tell you why. I've mentioned recently that I have been... Uh, more than frustrated, I, I have been, uh, I, I've been concerned, and uh, 
not despairing, perhaps despondent, something about the condition of the country today. And, you know, and I've, I've told you that. I mean, I've just been really concerned about the condition of the country. And recently it seems to me that the Lord has been impressing on my heart the reason for that for me is because I have been looking at the ineptness of Washington rather than at the power of God. Folks, our hope better be in God. Our confidence better be in Him. How many times have you gotten excited about some politician and you went out and campaigned for that person and elected and that person got elected and then you said, who in the world is that? Our faith must be in God because He is the one who has the power to deliver. He is the one who has the power to minister and to meet on it. So I am far more encouraged than I was three weeks ago. Because I am not looking nearly so much. Now, I have to admit, I get to watching the news and I think, oh, yeah, you know. And... <laughs> Who are these clowns we sent up there? You know, you, you just start looking at that. And then the Lord reminds me, let me tell you something. You better be looking to me. You better be looking to me. God has the power to crush the faithless, the faithless and to change the fearful. I see that in verse number 11 of Rahab. When we heard it, our hearts melted. No courage remained in any man any longer because of you. She was concerned about destruction. She said, I heard about you all, Ben, so we were scared. But look at the rest of the verse. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. I like that because of the transition that took place there. She said, when I heard about y'all and I saw y'all out there, said, I was scared to death. And then I began to see God. I began to see God. God has the power to change the fearful and to encourage the faithful. Look at verse number 10. For we have heard, verse number 11, and when we heard it, she had heard about the power of God, and as a result of that, she was encouraged. At first, she was fearful, she was concerned, but then she began to put her faith in God, and she said, we have heard, and now she becomes in. Are you encouraged when you hear about the faithfulness of God? For I am. I, I, I hear about the stories, I read the stories in the Bible about Bartimaeus who was blind, and the Lord gave him his sight. I hear about those who were lame and and God gave them the ability to walk. And, and I think back in my own experience when I prayed for Eric, my son, and, and God healed him. See, I believe that. That encourages me because I know no matter what I'm going through that God has the power to meet my day. God has the power to save, and I'm encouraged by that. I read about the Apostle Paul who was on the road to Damascus to arrest Christians. And there he met the Lord and his life was changed. And I know of people whose lives have been dramatically changed. And Jerry talked about the one he baptized today and how his life had been changed. God has the power to do that. Now, when I hear those stories, that's encouraging to me. He has the power to transform the fallen. Now, look at verse number 15. Then she let them down by a rope through the window for her house was on the city wall so that she was living on the wall. I thought about that rope. You know, that rope had been a, an object of shame, I would imagine. I wonder how many men had crawled down that rope when they were found out. How many husbands slithered down that rope? How many politicians came down that rope? 
That rope had hung there as a symbol of shame. You see, Rahab was lovely, but she wasn't loved. Men came and went. That rope was a symbol of shame, but it came a rope of salvation. Look at verse number 17. And the men said to her, We shall be free from this oath to you which you have made us swear. Unless when we come into the land you tie this, this cord of scarlet thread in the window, through which you let us down, and gather to yourself into the house your father and your mothers and your brothers and all your father's household. That rope that had been a symbol of shame became the symbol of her salvation. When we see the rope hanging from your window, then we will remember our vow to you. As I look at this story, it reminds me of the power of God. That our God is a God of great power. Now, let me conclude. It's unusual for women to be named in Hebrews genealogy. In Jesus' genealogy, there are five women who are mentioned. That's unusual. But there are five women mentioned in his genealogy. First is Tamar. Tamar was a Canaanite who seduced her own father-in-law. And she's in the family tree of Jesus. There's Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite woman. And the Jews hated the Moabites. But she's in the family tree of Jesus. There was Bathsheba. Bathsheba committed adultery with David. But she's in the family tree. There's Mary. She endured the disgrace of having a child out of wedlock. But she's in the family tree. And then there's Rahab. In the family tree of Jesus. She was a prostitute. You know what that says to me? No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, God loves you and is sufficient for your salvation and forgiveness. You see, ladies and gentlemen, your rope of shame can become a rope of salvation when you see the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? That no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, God's grace is sufficient for you. And He is willing to save anyone, no matter if it's Tamar, Bathsheba, Ruth, Mary, Rahab, or you. No matter who you are, His grace is sufficient. Do you know Jesus? Have you allowed Him to wash away your sins and extend His forgiveness and grace to you? Oh, I pray that you will today. Our gracious Father, thank You for Your great grace and love and mercy. Lord, thank You for bringing us here today, for speaking to our hearts through Your Word. By reminding us of your love, your forgiveness, and your sufficiency. And I pray, Father, for anyone who does not know Jesus, that today they might come to him. Bless them as they do in Christ's name. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing a hymn of invitation.
If you're here without Christ, come to receive Him. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. We'd love to have you. Stand, please, as we stand. The choir sings, you come, I'll greet you as you do.